This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Let's open in God's Word this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. I'm going to consider verses 20 through 27. And they went into a house, and the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. If we turn back to the first verse of this gospel, we see Mark's purpose in writing this book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's Mark's goal from the very beginning to demonstrate that Jesus... This Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ that is the Messiah and is the Son of God. And repeatedly, as we've gone through this book, we face the question, who is he? In our text, we have two answers to that question, one from his friends and one from uh, the, the scribes who have who've come to destroy him. The friends say he's beside himself. He's mad. The Jewish leaders say he's possessed by the devil. He's bad. Who is he? So that's the question that's answered in the text this morning. We'll look at these verses under the theme, a conflict of two kingdoms. Notice first here the opposition to Jesus from his friends and the scribes. Then second, the explanation from Jesus. He tells two brief parables and then the significance for us. We have in the text before us this morning two unbelieving responses to Jesus. The first comes from his friends. The multitude cometh together again, verse 20, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Jesus had gone into a house with his disciples, verse 19. He was sworn by a multitude, verse 20, and the multitude was so pressing upon him in the house that he and his disciples could not even eat a meal. They followed Jesus and they swarm into the house with him, uninvited, so that Jesus and his disciples can't get to the place where the food is stored. They can't sit for a meal. They can't find each other in the midst of this pressing multitude. And it is so bad that Jesus health and physical well-being are in jeopardy. That's why, in verse 21, his friends came. And why later in the chapter, 
his mother and his brothers came. They come, verse 21, well-intentioned and concerned for the physical well-being of Jesus. In their minds, his religious fervor is going to bring his demise, and we know it is. And they see him as a madman, crazy. This is not the Jesus they once knew when he was Joseph the carpenter's son and he worked with his father. He's driven now by something else. And we see their concern in this that they were when they were going to take him by force, they were willing to take him back to their own home. If they didn't care about him, they would leave him. Who wants a madman in their personal care and custody? But what we have here is unbelief, unbelief, one of the faces of unbelief. This was a refusal to see who Jesus was in response to the question whether this was the son of David that the multitude was asking. They said, no, he's just a crazy man. Now, we know from the Gospels that Jesus was rejected not only by his own countrymen in Nazareth, but also by his own family members. And John chapter 7 tells us that as Jesus' ministry comes to a close, his brothers believed not. These are the people who actually knew that, yes, this was the son of David, but this just wasn't how they envisioned the work of the Messiah. And so, as I said, he's beside himself. He's mad. And this rejection was a real part of the suffering of Jesus Christ. He was rejected of his own. He could not sit down his own family members and explain this to to them. They wouldn't hear it. This kind of unbelief is, is not unlike the rejection of the gospel that you find today in liberal Christianity, which says Jesus was a man. There is a real Jesus. But he was just a man, probably a little fanatical, and a little over the top about his religion, but we admire him for his dedication, and we especially admire him for his teaching. That's the Jesus of modern Christianity and of American religion today, and of the West that calls itself Christian. He's a man, but just a little too fanatical, and the Christ of the gospel is rejected, and the gospel itself lost. But there's another face of unbelief in the text here, The second answer to the question, isn't this the son of David, the Messiah? And it comes from the scribes. That's the way they're described here in in verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem. These are religious leaders who are specialists in the Old Testament law. And these scribes belong to the party of the Pharisees. And they come with a clear intent. You turn back to verse 6 and you see that it's to destroy Jesus. And their accusation is laced with hatred. These are the ones who are jealous of Jesus. And their minds are made up and they're prejudiced. And as soon as they hear the question, isn't this the son of David? They have an answer. And you see their answer in verses 22 and 23. It's two parts to it. First, they say in verse 22, he hath Beelzebub. That is, they say he's possessed. And the point of the accusation, the vicious accusation that they're making here is this, that Satan himself is the demon that possesses Jesus. And that Jesus is operating here in casting out demons as the prince of demons. That's the meaning in verse 22, that by the prince of devils, he casteth out devils. And the idea is simply this, that their opinion is that 
the demon who controls other demons, all other demons, the devil himself, Satan has possessed Jesus. That's their answer to who is. Is it the son of David? Or is he just a perhaps a madman? And they say, no, he's possessed by the devil. The second part of their opinion is that Jesus operates as a, a sorcerer, a necromancer, with, with, with someone who has access to dark magic, and that it's by this means that Jesus is, is casting out these demons. You see, there's something here that they couldn't deny, and what they couldn't deny was the miracles of Jesus, especially in the immediate context here. A man possessed with a demon who was blind and who was dumb and would have been with that death, was healed. It was undeniable. How do you explain this? The people said, is this the son of David? They said, no, he's an operative of Satan himself. And he uses his powers, his demonic powers, to try and seduce the multitude. Now, if you look down to verses 28 through 30, you see that Jesus calls their sin here, and their accusation, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost and the unpardonable sin. And I plan to come back to that in the next sermon. But here I want to point out just the seriousness of of this accusation that they make against Jesus, of all the things that are ever said about Jesus in the gospel. This is the worst. And it must be the worst. Because Jesus says, all blasphemies against the Son of Man shall be forgiven, but not this one. That's how serious this is. And it's, and it's aggravated by this fact that as leaders, as religious leaders, they promote this opinion among the people. These were men of of power and of influence. And they came not just to intimidate Jesus, but to, to scare and to warn the people. And this is their answer. Is this the son of David? No. He's possessed with the devil. He's the prince. He's operating as the prince of demons. And so the people, oh, that's how we should be thinking of Jesus. Well, then he's a very dangerous man. And again, this opposition to Jesus is a part of his suffering and a part of his suffering for us. In fact, it's this suffering at the hands of the Jewish leaders that will in the end lead to his crucifixion. They will be the ones who call for his crucifixion. And the answer that Jesus gives to these Jewish leaders here indicates that he's very aware of this, that this is his suffering. On the one hand, his answer is very clever, and he, and he turns the tables to show that not he is the operative of Satan, but they are the true operatives of Satan. But on the other hand, his his answer shows that he understands that he's entered into the world for exactly this conflict. This is why he's come. In this moment, Jesus is very conscious of this, that he is the seed of the woman who's come to crush the head. Jesus' answer begins in verse 23. How can Satan cast out Satan? And then notice he spoke to them in parables. And we have in the verses following two parables. And they're intended by Jesus to illuminate, to make very clear his answer so that they would understand it. In the next chapter, we're going to come to the parables of Jesus. And there's a common misunderstanding about the parables, that the parables were used by Jesus as kind of riddles to obscure what he was really saying. That's not the parables. The opposite, the complete opposite is true, and that's evident right here. Jesus uses these two parables to make something very obvious to the Jewish leaders, 
And that's the point, of course, of an illustration. And so Jesus uses these two parables here to make an irrefutable point. And these parables are very simple and easy to understand. With the first one, the parable of a divided kingdom and a divided house, Jesus shows that their argument is absurd, that it makes no sense. And then with the second parable, the one of binding the strong man, he shows that what he is doing makes sense. In the first argument, verses 24 and 25, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Jesus is saying, imagine a kingdom, and there's civil war, and that civil war goes on and on, and if it goes on and on, and creates this division in the kingdom, well, that kingdom will collapse. Verse 25, a similar illustration. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And now think of fighting in a family or a marriage, and that goes on for years and years, and Jesus is saying it will eventually end in divorce and the disintegration of that family unit. And he says, your argument is that I'm casting out demons in the devil's name as the prince of demons. That's absurd. Satan in demon possession comes because he wants to establish dominion. And what I'm doing here in casting out demons obviously breaks the dominion of Satan. Look at this man here, demon-possessed, blind, dumb. And now I've come and set him free. So what you're saying doesn't make sense. It's absurd. And then it's as though he says to them, let me help you make sense of what I'm doing. And that's the, the second parable or illustration in verse 27. Let me make sense to you of what I am doing. He says, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil the house. And here's a parable with different parts, elements. Who is the strong man? Well, the strong man is Satan. Who or, or what are the possessions of this strong man? Well, it's everyone who is under the dominion and under the watch of Satan, everyone who's under the power of sin. So who is the one who's come to break into the strong man's house and to spoil his house and to, to break his dominion, to free his captives? Well, Jesus is saying, this is me. This is what I'm doing. This is why I've come, to disarm the strong man, Satan, to destroy the works of darkness, to free those who are held captive by sin, to liberate them, to make them my own. This is why I've come, and that's why I'm casting out. This is what I'm busy with. And this beautiful second parable really shows us three things. First, it demonstrates to us the, the character of the work of Jesus Christ as warfare. He's come as a man of war. This, of course, is representative of the conflict of the ages that comes in the very first promise of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God says, speaking to the devil, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Jesus comes as the arch enemy of Satan, not as an operative of Satan. And Jesus is saying, this is how I've come. I've come to bind the strong man. Now, of course, that's what you'd expect. Jesus didn't come simply to say nice things to the people who had problems in their life, but he came to deal with the root of their issues, sin. He came to, to conquer sin. He came to free them from the bondage of sin and of Satan. And to do that, he begins... By binding the strong man, Satan, the kingdom of God has come. He's come preaching the kingdom. 
And the second thing that this shows us is this. If you oppose Jesus, the man of war, then you are with Satan in his opposition. That's what Jesus is saying by this parable to the Jewish leaders. He turns the tables here, and their silence indicates their conviction. But third, we have in the second parable a wonderful setting forth of the good news of the gospel. First, he binds the strong man. Then, he sets the captives free. You think about that with regard to Jesus going to the, to the cross. And Jesus conquering sin and conquering Satan and overcoming death, removing the curse, liberating the captives. Just let me read two other passages in the New Testament. The first from Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15, and in the context here, Jesus is called the captain of our salvation. This is what Hebrews 2 says, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Here he is, breaking into the strong man's house. The devil, the, the ruler of the darkness of this world, the prince of this world, and Jesus comes, breaks into his house, binds the strong man to set the captives free. The other passage is 1 John 3, the second part of verse 8, and the context here is the bondage of the power of sin. He's talking here about sanctification. 1 John 3, verse 8, he says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then look at how it continues. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. How does he destroy the works of the devil in us? He gives us new life. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he says, I've come to bind the strong man so that I may take possession of my own. Well, what's the significance of this passage for us today? I want to say three things in closing. First, it's this that really set forth in this passage very clearly is the biblical truth of the antithesis, the war, the conflict that exists throughout the ages between light and darkness, the people of God and the people, the seed of the serpent. And this conflict has been there from the very beginning and it will continue till the very end. We're at war. We expect this. Listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. There's a war. We're engaged in this war. That's the The antithesis, light against darkness, truth against the lie, right against wrong, heaven against hell, Satan against Christ. And we're engaged in that war, that conflict we find ourselves in, especially in this way, that we feel a personal struggle in our own hearts with sin. We wrestle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That is, the enemies are not the armies. But there's a spiritual warfare that Paul recognizes in Romans chapter 7 when he says, I delight in the law of God, but I find another law in my members. And so there's this war against war between the law of sin and the law of God. And, And this conflict has 
an end. And that's the point of the parable here. Jesus has come and he's bound the strong man. It's something like, I'll say, a game of chess. Checkmate has taken place already and there are a few remaining moves that the opponent might make, but they've lost. And so it is in this war. Satan is defeated. The strong man has been Sin will be overcome. But then the second thing that we should notice here as significant is this, that I'll say the side that you are on in this warfare comes down to what you say about Jesus. Not just what you say, but your view of Jesus. That's the great question here. Who is he? And we have in the text over against true faith, which says Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come into the world to bind Satan and to set sinners free. Two kinds of unbelief over against that. The one kind of unbelief is quite charitable. It labels Jesus as a religious fanatic. These people appreciate him. They care about him. But they will not say that he's Jesus, the Son of God. And they won't believe it. That, of course, is the opinion of thousands today who walk in unbelief. And then the other kind of unbelief here, filled with venom, says he's not mad, but bad, satanic. One group says he's mad, the other he's bad. Jesus Christ, God's Son. And the question before all of us this morning, and each and indeed before every man, is this, who is Jesus Christ? You see, the most important thing for us in response to the gospel is this, what do you say about Jesus? The most important thing is not whether you felt edified by a sermon or where all the points made in a sermon lined up with your thinking. The most important thing is this. What do you say of Jesus? Who is he? When Paul preached, he said in 1 Corinthians 2, I determined to know nothing among you, say Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the passage presents us here with what one commentator called a trilemma. Not a dilemma, but a trilemma. You have to say something about Jesus. We say he's mad. Religious fanatic? We say he's bad? An agent of Satan? Then you're deceived in unbelief. Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. The third thing we want to say, and with this we close, about the significance of this is that presented to us in this passage is just an amazing wonder. What a wonderful Savior. The suffering and the opposition that Jesus endured here is our suffering. And he's so aware, so deeply aware of that. That's the point of the parable, isn't it? He's come to bind the strong man. He's come to free us from the tyranny of Satan and from the bondage of sin. And going forward in his ministry, he knows precisely what that will entail. His friends and his disciples do not understand it. His family does not understand it. But this is the cross. In the end, it's a rejection not just by unbelievers, but a rejection of Jesus Christ by all. He's forsaken of his own, and it's especially this, that he's forsaken of his Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's so much humility here. But at the same time, the courage and resolve. Wonderful Savior. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at 
reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.